All right, hey, we're going to get back into our foundation studies. Uh, we're actually on the last, the sixth foundation called Eternal Judgment. Uh, this, this is going to be a, a lesson about eternal judgment tonight, and Lord willing, next Wednesday night, we're going to hopefully complete the idea. Obviously, there's a lot in the Scripture about this. Uh, we, we're, we've covered these six foundations. We've talked about repentance, remember? Repentance from dead works. We've talked about faith towards God. We've talked about the doctrine of baptisms and all the different kinds of baptisms. Uh, we talked about laying on of hands, resurrection, and now let's get into this idea of eternal judgment. Now, each one of these are, as it's, as it's laid out in Hebrews 6, each one of these are foundation stones. It's, it's kind of like if you're building a house, a spiritual house in this case, these six things, these six understandings of truth and, and kingdom truth, scriptural truth, these six things need to be fully, firmly established in your mind and your thinking Everything is. No, there's no why? Are we having sound? Hey, somebody on Facebook, if we get sound, can you just buzz on? Okay, we got sound? All right. I hear me echoing all over. Hey, turn that off. <laughs> that just sounds weird. <laughs> all right, so uh, if you're building this, these six foundations at least, and there's more foundations, and things we need to grow on, but this will give you a, a firm foundation to begin to build the life that God wants us to, to live. All right, so now let's get into eternal judgment, all right? This is a super-duper important truth in the Scriptures, as they all are, but this one really kind of hits you right between the eyes, really. It's the truth that most folks don't want to talk about or think about. It's kind of unsettling when you start thinking about these kind of things. In fact, a lot of times when I read these passages, like some of the ones we're going to read tonight, it just kind of... I've read them dozens and dozens of times, if not more. It just still kind of hits you in the gut. You know what I'm talking about? And it should. It should. Stay tender to these truths. Listen to this. Our choices and decisions have eternal consequences, both for the positive, both for the good, and for the bad. You know what I'm talking about? That's something we don't think enough about. And I promise you, if I thought more about these things, if you thought more about these things, we wouldn't say or do some of the things that we say or do, you know. So we just kind of bring ourselves in check and let the Word just kind of put us back on the right track. Now, the, the idea of judgment is all throughout Scripture. Now, this, this is just going to be a small sampling of what we're going to do tonight and next week, Lord willing. It's all throughout Scripture. God is, is seen throughout Scripture as the righteous judge. Now, the idea of a righteous judge is that God's judgments are always based on truth, fairness. If we can say, that's kind of a modern idea of saying it. Truth, uh, he, let's say it like this. He always does the right thing. Whether you're in the right or the wrong, God is a righteous judge. He always does the right thing. If you were to get into a study of the idea of God being a righteous judge or His judgments, uh, Psalm 119 would be a real good place. It's just, the word judgments is, is there dozens of times in Psalm 119. That's the longest passage in the, in the Bible. It's actually a tribute to the Scriptures, uh, to the Word of God. Uh, God always does the right thing. His judgments are true. His judgments range from small corrections, which we've all participated in that. Sometimes the Scripture calls that chastisements, uh, where like God disciplines His kids. You know, He's not an absentee father. He takes care of his own. He wants us on track, and he will correct. Anybody ever felt the correcting hand of the Lord? We call it conviction as believers and all that kind of thing. We, we've all felt that. If you haven't felt that, then you, we need to go to the altar <laughs> because he always does that. 
He always <laughs> takes care of us and corrects us when we're wrong. But his corrections go from small corrections to severe consequences. You think about some of the severe judgments of God. What are some of them in Scripture that you know of that come to mind? Like the severe judgments. Plagues, earthquakes, pestilence, viruses, you know. Hey, look out now. What else? Any, any, Lot's wife, Sodom and Gomorrah. Remember that? That's pretty severe. I mean, just scorching a whole town of people. Not, even, not sure how many thousands of people there. That's, that's pretty severe, you know. Uh, the, the flood, that's super severe, you know. I mean, think about that. It, it was so bad in Genesis, in, in Genesis 6 through 9, Noah's day. It was so bad that God just hit the reset button and started all over with Noah and his family. That's pretty wild, isn't it? It's pretty wild. So, so you get, get the point. Those are the severe judgments. Uh, we probably had some severe judgments in our own life. You know, maybe, um, you know, I, I felt like that, that you hear me talk about D23 in my life. That was kind of a severe judgment where God said, hey, boy, <laughs> I'm going to get your attention right here, right now. All right. You get the idea. Judgment is this. G- keep this idea in your spirit because oftentimes we just think negative when we think of the word judgment. But it's actually a good thing. Judgment is when God sets things right. That's the idea. He is here to set things right. It happens in two ways. It happens towards a positive way and it happens towards a negative way. When he sets things right, he he rewards the righteous or he punishes the wicked. Now, punish is the only word that can kind of come to mind, but you understand what I'm talking about. He, he, He uses his judgments to bless his people for doing right both here in today's world, but also in the judgment to come, the final judgment. But he also, God's just not going to let his world just go to wickedness, just to stay there. He's going to take it and make it right. All right? So it's when God sets things. Just remember that. So the judgment is always good because God's in charge of it. Now, you want to be on the good side of it. Let's say it like that. Some judgments happen in the here and now. We talked a little bit about some of the smaller corrections and sometimes maybe even severe corrections. Um, the law of sowing and reaping comes to mind. You know what sowing and reaping is? Whatever you plant, that's what you're going to get, right? And then scripture says about sowing and reaping, God's not mocked. You know, whatever you plant, whatever you sow, you're going to reap. You're going to bring that harvest in. So you, you think about that. And we're all susceptible to the law of sowing and reaping, you know. You plant kindness, kindness comes back. You plant division and strife, guess what's coming back? It's just the way it is in, in everybody's life. You plant good things, you know what I'm talking about. Now, today's lesson, though, is not just about sowing and reaping. Today's lesson is about the final judgment that awaits all of us. Okay, The final judgment awaits everybody. This idea is, is wrapped around accountability. It's kind of one of those words that we don't really like. But here, understand this. We are all... Believers, unbelievers alike, every nation, tribe, and tongue, everybody that's ever breathed, God's heir, everybody that's ever been, we are all accountable to God for our choices and our actions. Nobody's exempt. We, we belong to Him. He takes that very seriously and very personally. And we're all accountable to Him. Now, what does it mean to be accountable? Give me some other words for accountable or accountability. What's, it, what's some other ideas? Responsible. We're responsible. We're very responsible, aren't we? What else? 
We answer to God. You're going to have to answer or give an account. Kind of like, I mean, you kind of get the picture when you think about uh, judgment and God being a judge and accountability. You kind of get a courtroom perspective picture kind of thing, don't you? That you're there and you've got to bear witness to either the good or the bad. You got to fess up, so to speak. You got to give a report. That's the idea. That's the idea of accountability. Now let's go over to Hebrews 4, 12 and 13. Let's see here. I, I think I, I got to look that up real quick. Hebrews 4, 12 and 13. Let's go over there. Hebrews, let's see. Hebrews 4. And this scripture just kind of bears that out. Can you see that font or does it need to be a little bit bigger? Let me make it just a little bit bigger. Some people are more accountable than others. Well, it is true that um, teachers, and the scripture does say that about teachers, they'll be judged. Um, it doesn't say it like this, but to a higher standard, just simply because of what they know and understand. Um, but everybody's going to have to answer. Now let's, let's go in here. Hebrews 12 and 13. Hebrews 4, excuse me, verses 12 and 13. You know this first part probably. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and of marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. That's what the word does, right? It works on us. This is what I really want, verse 13. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, talking about God, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. That we've got to give an account to God. Okay? It's kind of, kind of graphic right here. It says that it's, it's like we're going to stand before God whenever we're before Him. It's like we're naked and open. It's vulnerability. That's the idea of vulnerability. That, that word naked and open, it's, it's the idea that when the, the priest would take the sacrifice and he would open up the neck of the sacrifice in order to, to take it. The sacrifice is totally vulnerable that's the idea that when we stand before i believe i hear a passage in my head going and it says it's a it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living god you know all right uh, there's a lot there but we've got to give an account to god that might be good news or bad news for you we'll talk about next week about how to make it good news but you got to come back for that okay you get the heavy tonight, all right? Is that all right? Hebrews 9, 27. Here it is on the screen right here. And as it is appointed for men to die once, but after this, the judgment. Now, this truth is kind of pulled right out of a, a, a understanding of who Christ is in, in Hebrews chapter 9. But it's, it's, it's showing us this truth that it's appointed for us to die once after this, the judgment. Now, what's appointment? What does appointed mean? What does that mean? It's a destiny. It's going to happen. It's, it's, it's like there's an appointment that you and I have that we will keep. I'm not sure. You know, a lot of folks that died today didn't realize they were going to die today. So we don't, we don't know when that is, right? We don't know when that is. So Jesus is going to admonish us over and over again to, to be ready. You don't know when that appointment is. What is what's the idea you get with, with the die once? It's appointed a man once to die, or to die once. What, what do you get that idea? I mean, what do you hear from that? 
Mm -hmm. And you get one, one chance. You get one life and one chance. So a lot of the other ideas and theories from false religions about reincarnation and the, the false idea of purgatory, all of those kind of things are not truth. They're not scriptural based. You, we, we all get one shot at this. And, and, you know, the hard truth is, is by the time we get even some of this information, we are already in trouble. No wonder we need a savior. You know what I'm talking about? No wonder we need a savior. It's appointed unto man wants to die. I just said in the old King James, that's how I memorized it. But after this, the judgment. After this, the judgment. So after this, you will have to give a record. You'll have to give an account. Okay? So it's kind of like the idea once, you're, once, you're, once you pass, once you die, it's like the record is sealed. It's kind of like you seal a court document almost. And then you await the final judgment. Let's go, let's, let's kind of do a little Bible search right here. If y'all call out the scriptures, because I'm not going to flip back and forth. Uh, Matthew 10, let's start right here. Let's hear what Jesus has to say. This may be as far as we get tonight, actually. Matthew 10, 15, is that what's on your sheet there? Matthew 10, 15. Now, all these are going to be written in red, which means they're the words of our master, right? Okay. Jesus, Jesus talking here, he says this, Assuredly I say to you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. He's talking about the cities that reject his, his apostles or his workers. But what my, my point is, not to talk about Sodom and Gomorrah, not to get into that, but Jesus has on his mind the idea that there will be a judgment and we will all answer. Okay, What's the next scripture right there? 11, 22 through 24. Kind of the same idea right here. Jesus says this, But I say to you, it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, who are exalted to heaven, will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. Well, that's a pretty heavy indictment, isn't it? Now, Capernaum is one of those cities in the religious triangle in the north part of Galilee. You got Bethsaida, you got, you got uh, Capernaum, and you got um, Chorazin. This kind of makes it what's, what they call a religious triangle. It's where a lot of the synagogues were in that, that particular area. So Jesus is talking to his people, and he's really giving a huge rebuke there. And the idea coming out of the bottom part of, of verse 22, he says, It will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon. Now, those were pagan Phoenician cities. That's where Jezebel's from. <laughs> that's, 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 that's harsh words, just really harsh. In the day of judgment, then for you, in verse 24, but I say to you that it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for you. So the idea of judgment. What's the next scripture right there? 1236. 1236. Only 36. But I say to you that for every idle word, Men may speak, they will give account of it in the day of judgment. Yeah, make you want to sew your lips together, don't it? Lord have mercy. So what's idle words? What, what, what is that idea? It's useless, worthless, and, and it would probably certainly go down the line of harmful, hurtful, vulgar, vulgarities, gossip, all, all of that kind of stuff. You know, those, those kind of things that we will give account in the day of judgment for those kind of things, you know. 
How can you avoid giving an account of that on Judgment Day? The only hope you have is that you would find God's forgiveness today and put those sins under the blood. And if those sins are under the blood, they are paid for. That's a settled account. We will cover that in detail next week, oh, Lord willing, when we get to the judgment seat of Christ. Okay. I believe so. If, if you can just hold that thought. I'm not avoiding it, but we just hold that thought. All right, so what's the next one? We got one more? Mark 9. Now listen to this. This has got some pretty serious gravity to it here. Jesus is talking about hell here. He says, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter into life maimed rather than having two hands to go to hell, uh, to go to hell into the fire that shall never be quenched. As Jesus advocating we cut off our hands, this is the way I've always understood it. Jesus says if you knew the reality of what awaits those people who turn against God, if you knew the reality, you would go to any extent you possibly could go to, to avoid hell. That, to the point that you would actually cut off your hand. You know? He says the same thing right here. He says, uh, verse 44, he talks a little bit about it. And this is pretty gruesome. Where the, their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. The worm has to do with consciousness and the idea of they're there for the reasons that they know they're there. And the fire is not quenched. Probably. There's, the consciousness that you have squelched all those years comes alive full force. And, you know, the, the, the issue here would be, too, that you've actually met God. See, everybody's going to meet God. Just not everybody's going to stay with it, you know, and you get and, and you'll be under judgment. You'll meet God, but you won't be able to stay with him. You know what I'm talking about? That, that's that all by itself is enough to torment somebody. Verse 45, same kind of idea is pretty gruesome. If your foot causes you to sin, you cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame rather than having two feet to be cast into hell into the fire that shall never be quenched where their worm does not die, and the fire is not quenched. That's pretty severe, isn't it? If your eye causes you to sin, plug it out. It's better for you to enter the kingdom with one eye rather than having two eyes to be cast into hell fire where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. You see the severity of what Jesus is trying to wake us up to a reality that he knows about. See, we don't know about this reality unless it's told to us. But he knows. Do we have any? And repeats it, not just says it once. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's kind of sobering, isn't it? It's kind of sobering. Now, you know, it, a lot of people have extracted hell out of their doctrines, out of their teachings, out of their sermons. A lot of people's taken hell out of it. Um, 
I don't know how we can do that in conscious. I, I, I mean, I wish we could. If it's as bad as Jesus says, I wish it wasn't real, to be honest with you. I wouldn't want anybody to go there. But Jesus is saying it is real. And the consequences are so severe that if you had a choice, you would do whatever you had to do to the point of maiming yourself to stop yourself from doing whatever activity you're doing that's going to cause you to have to pay this price. All right? What's the next scripture? Do we have any more? Luke 12, 4 and 5. Jesus again. And I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, and after that have no more that they can do. But I show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has power to cast into hell. Yes, I say to you, fear him. Thank you, Lord. He's gracious enough to tell us this now. You know. Do we have any more? Is that the last of it? That was the last one on that? Okay. Let's go back to our notes here. All right. Now I need you to go to Matthew 25. That's where we're going to end up. I got about 10 more minutes. We'll be good. What, what comments, questions as we read through some of that? It's, it's pretty sobering, but, you know, Hebrews writers want us to have a foundation in eternal judgment. And it seems to me that Jesus spoke quite a bit about it. That you and I need to be aware of these things and tailor our lives accordingly. Right? Hmm. Any, any questions, comments? You scared to talk now, ain't you? Oh, Lord, have mercy. Help us, Jesus. <laughs> you're not kidding. Just, mm, you're not kidding. All right. Matthew 25. You may want to flip over there. We're, we're going to be there for the remainder. Now, Matthew 24 is Jesus' take on the end times, what he teaches us about the end times, okay? Now, there's a lot of speculation on timetables about the end times and all those kind of things, you know, but he gives us a lot of signs, signs of the times is what, what it's called. Maybe you've got a heading in your Bible, it may say that in Matthew 24. Now, Matthew 25 is kind of the response to Matthew 24 that all these things are coming and Matthew 25 is kind of the pastoral response of practical instruction to say this is what we need to do since the end times are, or the end of time is coming or the final judgment awaits. This is what we need to do. Now Matthew 25 has three stories in it. Three stories all pertaining to our future. We will all be a part of the events that Jesus talks about right here. Okay. The first the story is the parable of, of the, the wise and foolish virgins, right? This, the second story is the parable of the talents. And the third is Jesus giving us a glimpse about the final judgment when the Son of Man will sit on his throne and judge the, the nations or all the ethnic or all the people, basically. That kind of idea. So what I want to do is I, I need to just read some stuff. I, I don't, we'll, we'll, we'll put these to sermon and teachings later, but, but can I just read these in your hearing and we just kind of see what it says? I really want to get down to the third part and I just want to read this parable of the wise and foolish virgins. Can we do that? together there's just great value in just reading through the text all right let's go to verse number one all right jesus speaking again then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom now five of them were wise and five were foolish now you got these lamps okay you got oil lamps just picture an oil lamp Somebody carrying an oil lamp, and it's dark at night. There's no streetlights in this culture, okay? So they're, they're going out, 
And they're, they're waiting for the bridegroom or, or the groom to come and get his bride. That idea. Five were wise, five were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. Okay. What's, what's that mean? What's going to happen? Nothing. You can't light it. Okay. You got to have oil in the lamp. And that reminded me of an old song. Give me oil in my lamp. Keep it burning. Remember that? Give me oil in my lamp. I pray. Give me oil in my lamp. Keep it burning, burning, burning. Burning to the end of day or something like that, I guess. <laughs> Is that it? That's it? Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. But while the bridegroom delayed, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight, a cry was heard. Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose, trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, No, lest there should not be enough for us and you, but go rather to those who sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding. And the door was shut. And afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. What's the, give me a one-line synopsis of this story. What's the moral of this story? Be prepared. Be prepared. Be ready. Because the idea is you do not know when he's coming, right? You don't know. So the idea is to be ready. And you know what? As much as somebody may love you, they can't share it with you. You can't ride on their coattail. You can't, they can't drag you in. As much as Everybody's got to have their own confession of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Everybody's got to. Now we can help them, but we can't get you across the threshold. Be ready. That, that's, that's, there's a lot there, but let's, let's move to the, the next story. Okay? Kind of, kind of builds the same idea. For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. Now imagine just, imagine sitting on the hillside and hearing Jesus talk like this. He's just got these wonderful stories that he's telling everywhere he goes. And this is one of them. And to one he gave five talents... Now, talent is, is, we think a talent like, you know, you got singing or your carpentry or you can draw or you got a musical ability or something like that. We think a talent like that. Talent is a sum of money in the scripture. Okay. So he basically gives them a lot of money. Okay. To one, he gave five talents to another two and to another one, each according to his own ability. Okay. So right away, we see this idea. Uh, God's not a socialist. <laughs> <laughs> this is actually one of the go-to scriptures we, we use to say, you know what, socialism is not biblical because a lot of people try to bring it in and say it is biblical, but uh, not everybody gets the equal share of anything. You know, Everybody's taken care of in the kingdom, but there are people that are lots more talented than we are. They have lots more giftings. But with all those giftings, guess what comes with that? A lot bigger responsibility as well too, right? All right. Five, two, and one. Keep that in mind. Each according to his own ability. And immediately he went on a journey. The king went on a journey, left them to do this business. 
Then he who had received the five talents went and traded with them and made another five talents. He basically doubled his money, right? And likewise, he who had received two gained two more also. But he who had received one went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. Verse 19, after a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. So he had received five talents, came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I have gained five more talents besides them. His Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Okay, you get the picture? What's going on here? What was the judgment on this? The judgment was a reward, wasn't it? Okay, so he entered into judgment over what he did, his actions. And the king said, good job. Well done, good and faithful servant. He also had received two talents, came and said, Lord, you delivered to me two talents. Look, I have gained two more talents besides them. His Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I'll make you rule over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Now, interesting. He didn't have as much talent, say like that. He didn't have as much giftings and abilities and resources as the other guy. But he got the same reward as the guy who did because he took what he had, what he'd been given, and worked it. Right? So the issue is not comparing ourselves with each other, whether you got more, or you got this, or you got that, or you were born with a silver spoon, you got all these privileges or whatever they call nowadays, you know, that kind of thing. The issue is, what are you doing with what you got? Whether you start with a little, whether you start with a lot. What are you doing with what you got? They both get commended. Well done. Verse 24. Then he who had received the one talent, this guy comes, he says, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man. Reaping where you have not sown, gathering where you have not scattered seed. I was afraid and went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. It's almost like he's proud. Look, I, I, I saved this for you. I, I hear the king kind of saying, well, I could have kept that myself. But, you know. but his Lord answered and said to him, you wicked and lazy servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gathered where I have not scattered seed. I mean, he, he, he kind of condemned himself with his own words. He said, you're a hard man. And he said, okay, you think I'm a hard man? Here we go. I'm, let me show you right here. So you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers and at my coming, you would have received back my own with the interest. At least you could have gave me interest. Therefore, take the talent from him and give it to him who has 10 talents. For to everyone who has... More will be given, and he will have abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. That's kind of an interesting way to put it, isn't it? Today's world, the ideology, what they're trying to say is the guy who's got ten ought to go to the guy who's got one and give him some of his. That's what they're saying today. But, and that may be okay if, if the person's in, in a severe situation that's, that's awful. But in this particular case, what is the Lord's judgment on the one who didn't do anything with his life and his resources? What was his judgment? He, he called him two, two names. Wicked and lazy. Wicked and lazy. God just don't do wicked or lazy. He don't. You read the book of Proverbs. He really gets on lazy in the book of Proverbs. He talks a lot about that. 
that I did. So he, he just kind of calls them out and he says, now I want you to take what he had, that one, and I want you to give it to the one who had ten. Why would he give it to the one who had ten? Because he's going to do something with it, ain't he? He's going he's gonna to do something with it. All right. There's, there's a lot more here, but let's, let's keep going. Verse 30, it's, it gets bad. It goes from bad to worse for this guy. And cast the unprofitable servant into the outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's pretty severe, isn't it? But Jesus, again, is telling a little story to show us reality. God expects to get a profit out of your life. He's given you wisdom. He's given you a great country to live in. He's given you all kinds of advantages and things uh, just because. He's revealed himself to you. He's given his word. He's given you all kinds of talents and abilities. He expects a profit for himself out of our lives. I, I think we want that, don't we? we? We want to better ourselves. We want to help his kingdom come and his kingdom to grow. We want to do those kind of things, right? Let's, let's keep going here. Let's get the third story right here. So I guess the first one was be ready. How would we summarize the second one? <laughs> get to work. <laughs> yeah, get, get to work, basically. Be ready. Be resourceful. Or be profitable. Be fruitful. That's a good word, Miss Pat. It's a good biblical word. Be, be, be ready. Be fruitful. Whatever, whatever that means in your life. It may mean something different in my life. Whatever it means. Now Jesus paints this scenario. This is what I really wanted to get to in verse 31. It says, When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the holy angels with Him, then He will sit on the throne of His glory and all the nations will be gathered before Him and He will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides His sheep from the goats. Okay. Now Jesus' favorite way to address himself is this idea of son of man okay it's a lengthy study but if you got notes write down daniel 7 13 and 14 okay daniel 7 13 and 14 it is it's a reference to that it's a, it's a messianic reference that god is going to send his king that's basically going to bring god's rule and reign to the earth okay and jesus is without a doubt calling himself the Messiah. We, we wouldn't necessarily hear him saying Messiah in English, but all of these word pictures and all these pictures from the Old Testament, Jesus is time and time again attributing them to himself. And this Son of Man is the huge one. Okay? Daniel 7. He sees himself as the king who is going to sit on the throne. Now, all the, all the nations, that's kind of a, a maybe a translation problem for us to understand that because when we think of nations we think of Iraq and Afghanistan and United States and Canada and things like that the idea is all the ethnic groups all the people of the earth okay that's the idea they'll be gathered before him he will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats he will set the sheep on his right hand but his goats on the left hand then the king will say to those on his right hand who are the sheep right Come, you blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Listen to this. This is how he knew they were sheep. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. 
Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when will we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? When do we see you a stranger, take you in, or naked and clothe you? Or when do we see you sick or in prison and come to you? No, that's good questions, isn't it? Because I guess the idea is we didn't do these things directly to you. What do you mean? What, what are you talking about? Listen to what the Lord says. It's a great insight here. And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you did it to me. Hmm. Think about that now. So when you help somebody, no matter what that might be, whatever that looks like, when you help somebody, Jesus takes it personally. And he credits it to your account as if you were blessing him. Did you see that? I had a really unique experience happen to me one time. It was just the weirdest thing. In the church foyer, a, a gentleman who obviously was homeless came and knocked on the church door. And we were, we were out in the country. So it was kind of odd to have a situation like that come up. But he had ridden his bicycle down the road and he came in. And uh, it was obvious that he had been living on the streets and all that kind of thing. And he was, he was dressed quite differently. And um, he came and he sat down. We had like kind of, it was a huge foyer, living room furniture in different places. And, and I just invited him in and he come and he sat down right there. And I sat on the chair across from him. We just began to talk. He told me some of his story and all that kind of thing. And while he's talking to me, now this happened, it just, it just happened. I can't explain it. It just happened. While he's talking to me, I'm looking dead at him and his face, he's, he's asking for help and assistance. His face begins to change from his face to Jesus's face, his face to Jesus's face, his face to Jesus's face, right there in front of me. I was like, I couldn't even hear what he was saying because I was freaking out about it. It was really quite, quite moving. And it, it did it several times, just kept changing like that. And I, and I saw Jesus there, you know. So obviously we helped the gentleman for sure. I thank God for that obvious thing that happened, but there's a whole lot of other things that happen in that same realm that are not quite as obvious, but they're real. And you need to see Jesus everywhere you go. When you go to the hospital to visit that person, we haven't been able to do that a lot lately, but when you go to visit somebody who's sick and you carry them chicken soup, you're ministering to the Lord as you minister to them. He takes it very, very personally. You see what I'm talking about? Whatever that might be, a phone call. He takes it very, very personally. And he wants us doing these things. He wants us involved in this. This is what his sheep look like. His sheep take care of people that are in need. That's what sheep look like. Now, goats are going to look a little different. Remember, he's separating the sheep and the goats. Okay, this is an ancient picture. They would have been very well acquainted with the idea of having the corral. The sheep go here, the goats go here. They, they, would have, they would have been very acquainted with that picture, okay? Goats to the left, sheep to the right, okay? And, and if you know anything about goats and sheep, they have two different natures, really. You know. Where are we at? Verse number 41. Then he will say to those on the left hand, okay, this is the goats. It's about to get bad. Never mind. <laughs> oh, <that's, laughs> I, could, I, I couldn't help it. I couldn't help it. <laughs> Paul, something about it. I don't know what it is. I'm not going to write a few jokes. Then he will also say to those on his left hand, Depart from me, 
you cursed into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not take me in. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick in prison and did not minister to you? And, and it's kind of like if we'd have known it was you, that we would have helped. It don't work that way though. Then he will answer them saying, Assuredly I say to you, inasmuch as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into, into eternal life. Now, it doesn't mean that we can do things to earn our way in. But when God changes your life, He gives you a new nature and you get His heart and you want to help. But if you're not, I guess you kind of go down, the goat kind of goes his own way, his own path, you know. He doesn't follow the shepherd. But these are sobering truths, aren't they? Mm -hmm. So be ready, be fruitful. Uh, let Jesus change your heart and see him everywhere he goes. I think it's interesting, he says, whenever you do it to the least of these, not just the greatest of these, you know, a lot of people give, give stuff away for prominence and power's sake or to get in good with somebody who may already be in power or whatnot. But Jesus says, don't look at it like that. It's not a scratch my back, I'll scratch your kind of living. It's the idea that you really want to help people, help them, give them a hand up, do whatever it takes to meet their needs. You know what I'm talking about? Right, let's pray. Let's ask the Lord to help us. Lord, if we just read your word, it's just some sobering truths here that we just need them to sink deep into our hearts, Lord. Um, we thank you for the revelation you're giving us that we, we don't have to be surprised by these things. Lord, we can prepare. We can prepare now. We ask for your help, Holy Spirit. We thank you, Lord. Thank you for your truth. May it sink deep into us. We want to see your kingdom come and your will done. And Lord, I pray that you would help us. I, I know most in this room are, are sheep. They want to be. They want to be your sheep. They are your sheep. We ask that you just help us to do the things you said right here, to see you in the things that are around us, the people that are around us, and help where we can, pray where we can, minister however we can. Help us, Lord. Help us also to, backing up to that other story, use the abilities and the gifts, the resources you've given us to see you have a prophet, see your kingdom grow. We thank you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.